We've got some weeks to go in Hebrews. Hope you've been enjoying the Hebrews series. A huge thanks to all the other pastors who uh, have been bringing a message on one of the what we called Hebrews heroes or heroes of the faith that was listed, listed in chapter 11 over the last five weeks. So uh, we had Beck and Adam and Mark and Claire all doing that for us. And it was really great. And we, so we had a message on Abraham, Jacob, Samson, Samuel, and Rahab. These were the five that were chosen, and we just kind of dug in a little bit. What was the lesson that we needed to learn from them about faith? And, and I have to admit, I don't think I've ever heard a sermon on Rahab before. Has anyone else ever heard a sermon? That was, so, that was good, Claire, if you're here somewhere. That, if you not here, someone tell her. That was really, really good. I, I really appreciated that. I love how God uses unlikely people. But Hebrews holds these men and women up to us and says, look at these unlikely people. You know, it was their faith that allowed God to use them to do these incredible things for him and to be our example for today. So we've got to remember that this letter, this, this Hebrews letter or sermon or whatever it was, it was to the church in Rome. Their faith was, was, was wavering It was because it was hard to be a Christian there. And the author was pointing them back to Jesus and he's encouraging them, don't give up. You know, like all of those great examples of old, don't give up. Hold fast and keep Jesus the main thing. Have confidence in him. Remember, we learned that's what uh, faith is, this confidence in who Jesus is and what he's done and going to do. It's a great letter for us today. But we move on to chapter 12. After all those examples of faith, and the author makes this point from verse 1. Therefore, since we have surrounded, we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. That's how we do it. Keep our eyes on Jesus, the champion. He's the real hero of the faith. You know, he... He's the one who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. So we're thinking about how Jesus did it. After all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against Sin. You know, actually, I've already preached this, I don't know if you remember, back, way back in the first week or two of, of Hebrews because it just fit in really well with those early chapters. But this is the crux of Hebrews. Don't give up. Run a good race to the end because he knows when you're running a race, you're going to get tired. There's going to be difficult moments. You'll feel discouraged. But look at what happened to Jesus as our example. He endured because of the joy that was ahead, he could see, he kept his eyes focused on what was still to come. And so when we look to Jesus as our example and all that he went through for us, we know we have some, someone who understands and walks with us as we go through those things. He's endured it as well. But I've preached that sermon on endurance, so we're going to move on to verse 5 in chapter 12. And this is going to be today's message. So here we go, Hebrews 12, verse 5. And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, 
and remember this is supposed to be encouraging words, quoting from Proverbs, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. Pretty encouraging words, aren't they? (laughs) That's what I said, though. I'll explain. Verse 7, as you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child who was never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means you are illegitimate and not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and and live forever. Verse 10, for our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years doing the best they knew how, but God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there is a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weakness. Uh, i got to tell you, you know, it's not... When you're going through these passages, I'm going to preach the whole of Hebrews or whatever, and you get to these bits, you think, I could just skip over <laughs> and go to the next bit. It's kind of more encouraging. Well, I want to tell you, this is hard, but I actually think it is encouraging because that's what the author said right back at the beginning of that passage. These are encouraging words. But, you know, there's not too many times where we want to sit here and just talk about how awesome discipline is, is there? You know, we don't sing songs, really, about God's discipline. There's not too many worship songs out there where we're raising our hands in the air saying, thank you, Lord, for disciplining me, disciplining me. I've seen you move. You disciplined me, and I believe you're going to do it again. I haven't, I haven't sung that one before. But we do sing many songs about God being our father, don't we? And something a father does out of love for a child is is discipline. Which is the first point today. It's an act of love. Verse 6 again, which was a quote, I'm pretty sure, from Proverbs. For the Lord disciplines those he loves. And he punishes each one he accepts as his child, uses the word punished. You know, we parents discipline our kids because we want our kids to be raised to be good kids, right? Good, that we want them to have good character. And because we know that without correction and, and without a good example, there's a chance they may fall away into trouble and struggles in life. It's not a guarantee, by the way, even if you do discipline well. But certainly... provides a good base. We love our kids, so we correct them as they grow. And, and we discipline them appropriately as an act of love. And so it makes sense that a loving God brings times of correction to, to us. We, we call ourselves his children all the time. We'll claim that one. Definitely, God, I'm one of your, your children. I'm a child of God. Which means... There's times that the Father has to correct us. So when God sends it our way, we need to adjust our mindset that tells us, you know, our mind always says, run, 
hide from discipline. Instead, we've got to be thinking about why and know where it comes from. It comes from a place of love. If God didn't love us, it's what the Scriptures just said, he wouldn't pull us into line. He'd just leave us to our own immaturity to make mistakes over and over again. But he doesn't do that because he loves us. He wants the best for us. But we don't like it because, point two, there may be pain involved. Verse 11 says, no discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. You know, it's painful. I I don't know of any parent who has punished a child with a bowl of ice cream. (laughs) I mean, you might know somebody, but I haven't seen that happen. You know, they made a mess in the lounge room, something spilled on the carpet, whatever. They came, they went somewhere they weren't supposed to do. They, They lit something they weren't supposed to light. Here's a bowl of ice cream. That, that never happens, right? We, we pull them into line. We all know that when our kids go too far, we know that there should be consequences for their misbehavior. Sometimes the only way they will learn is through an act of discipline. I guess we could say there's a punishment that we sometimes have to give out. And it hurts, not physically. Let's not talk about physical punishment Today, I'm not a big fan of it myself, but, you know, we take things away from them. We don't allow them to go out with friends or they lose screen privileges or uh, they might have to make up for something they've done. They might have to do extra chores or something like that around the house. I'm sure you've got a wide variety of things you use with your kids. You know, it's so tempting when I was writing this sermon to think of examples from my own too, but I just, I resisted that temptation so if you girls are sitting there a little bit squirming, what's he going to say? You're, it's good. You're good. <laughs> Nothing's coming. But we, we do discipline to, to help our kids understand, don't we? Bad behaviour has consequences. And we want them to learn the lesson. We, who knows that as a parent, part of us, we, kinda, we hate disciplining our kids because we don't want to see them miss out on something or be upset. We don't like to see them go through the pain that the Scripture's talking about. I don't think God does either. But that's why as parents we should never discipline when we're angry because our emotions may lead us to overdo it and cause more harm than good. If the purpose of it is to correct our children, you know, it's always done in a rational, loving, considered way. I just think that's the way God would bring discipline. A way that would be more effective than lashing out in anger, which is not. Effective, because I don't think that would be godly parenting. We are the adults, after all, and the outcome is meant to be aligned with God's outcome. It should be for the good of our kids, not a release of our anger. And so point three is this. The discipline that we sometimes get from God, it might go on for a while. Because in verse five, I notice it says, don't give up. When he corrects you. In other words, there's a temptation to stop in the midst of something that God might be bringing our way to get our attention to teach us something. He's saying, don't give up. It might go on for a while. One thing I learned about the heroes of the faith is that when we stray from God and he has to bring correction our way, it can be long and it can be hard. The temptation is to give up. But we never stop trusting God because he has a plan. That's the point. He knows better than we do. I suspect 
we can get stuck in God's discipline because we don't actually respond properly. We do give up. You know, we don't learn the lesson. And so instead of God letting us continue in our wrong ways, he keeps us under discipline sometimes until we, I think, until we get it, until the change comes that he's looking for. If you've ever found yourself repeating the same difficulties in your life, perhaps it's time to ask yourself, is God trying to get my attention about something? Is he trying to tell me something here? It's not a universal application. And we're going to get to the question of how we discern what is discipline, because I know that's the big one. But sometimes we just don't learn. So out of love, God tries again and again, which brings me to point four. The discipline that God gives us produces people of good character, good godly character. Because verse 11, the second part says, afterwards there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Only those who are trained in this way, those who respond properly, receive it and change. Not giving up points to something that goes on for a while. His discipline should build endurance in us. You know, Romans 5 says that endurance and perseverance build character. It's worth checking out that scripture this week. James says that perseverance actually makes you mature and complete. In fact, he says you won't lack for anything if you learn perseverance. If the pain you have is God's discipline, then we can lift our eyes in hope because God is refining us. This is the beauty of it. He's doing a work that will reap a harvest. That's what this author's saying. There's a great blessing at the end of it. But as I said, I know what you're thinking. I've got the same question as you. How do I know if what I'm going through is God's discipline or is it just the world's brokenness that I'm, I'm in right now or is it something from my own doing? And I think this is such an important question. It's one, you know, when I was writing this message, this is why I kind of didn't want to preach it because I had to wrestle with this myself. It's a big it's a big question. I guess there's a lot of grey around it in some ways. We know that this world is broken and suffers as a result of the fall, and we all live with the consequences of that, you know, constantly. The consequence of sin happens every day all around us. But Christ died for our sin. That's what we said in this morning when we took communion. Romans 8 actually says, you no longer live under condemnation for that. So we have to keep that in mind all the time, Okay. We don't live under condemnation. We are free in that sense. So then what is this author talking about? God's bringing a punishment, a discipline to me. Why is he dishing this out? I don't think we should see it so much as that eternal divine punishment. This is important because Christ has already done that for us, but rather it is a loving correction from a father to a child. That's what we need to see this as. And so when it comes to discerning from our trouble what, what is this loving correction and what is the sad and tragic outcome of a broken world, then we, we look to verse 11. If through the correction and pain we submit to the Holy Spirit's conviction and we change to be who God wants us to be, I think we can safely say that was God helping us. Not to condemn us, helping us. I think that's the lens that we need to look through for this. You know, maybe God withholds something from us so that we can learn that we should actually be content with what he's provided. That could be something that God brings our way. Maybe God delays something, you know, because the heart wants it so much, it becomes more than him in our life. And God holds it back 
because he wants to teach us who's first in our life and he wants us to know patience. Maybe God uses someone to point out something we did you know, that we can, so that we can learn some maturity in our life. Perhaps something or someone is taken away from us because we didn't love that something or someone that like God wants us to. Those are just some thoughts I had on why that might happen. On the other hand, sometimes our bodies get sick. We catch diseases. We're in accidents or disasters. Broken and emotionally unhealthy people hurt us for not, no good reason. You know, we lose loved ones. Relationships sometimes fall apart. And while we may learn something from those ordeals, I believe God can create something, and God can create something good from that bad or that evil. I'm hesitant to say that's God's discipline. You know what I mean? Let me give you an extreme example. If I lived in North Korea and I was a Christian, now there's a strong chance I'd be imprisoned, I might even be tortured, I might even be killed. I don't think God has disciplined the Christians in North Korea. I think that's evil. That's happening to them. I don't doubt that God is with them every step of the way and their reward in heaven would probably be greater than I could ever imagine. And yes, perhaps out of that evil, God could create some good. But I sincerely doubt that would be God's discipline. When it comes to discerning what is God's correction and what is not, this is, this honestly, this is where you need to seek God's voice because we don't want to miss what God might be trying to teach us and we might actually hear it wrong or uh, assume the wrong things. We don't want to assume discipline when it's not there, for starters, and vice versa. The problem is that pain causes us to flee. Sometimes we should flee, by the way. You know, if you're in an abusive situation, things like that, I, there's times to flee pain. Don't, don't hear me wrong on that, please. Faith doesn't mean we disconnect the brain, does it? I was, I was thinking about that message I did on Abraham, and there's a point that I missed, actually. It was talking about how God sends him to Cain, and he gets there, and then there's a famine, and he has to go to Egypt, which seemed crazy when you were doing what God told you to do. And I guess one of the points about, about that was that you've got to still use the brain God gave us in these moments. You know, he could have said, no, God sent me here in faith, I'm staying, and maybe him and his family wouldn't have made it. No, he was still faithful to God when he went to Egypt. He came back and still fulfilled where God, what God wanted him to do. We have to keep the, the brain connected as, as we give, put our faith in Christ. So when we discern what is coming to us, that's, that, you know, it's difficult in life, we use this big organ that God put up here. It was his gift to us for a reason, you know. We pray and we sift through what is happening. We discern what God is doing. We do some serious self-reflection and, you know, we ask some questions. Here's some questions I thought of as I was thinking through this. Have I been following God's call in my life? His leading, you know, his commands. Is there a lesson for me? Is there people that I need to get right with? Have I given in to a temptation? Is there sin in my life that God's not pleased with? Are my priorities wrong? Is God just trying to get my attention? Like, these are just some questions I think we can ask ourselves when we go through things. Ask these kinds of questions. Ask God as well. 
And I would recommend, ask some wise and godly people who are close to you. This is one of the, 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 the purposes of the church body, is that we can talk to each other and say, hey, look, I'm just going through this at the moment. What do you think? And together we can pray and use our brains and our wisdom and work out what God might be trying to say to us. Lastly, be careful of the pain or hurt you're feeling as you discern. Remember that the scripture said it, it's going to hurt sometimes. And one thing about pain is um, it can get in the way of us thinking properly. You know, we've got to acknowledge it and understand it. Sometimes we might have to just kind of put it there off to the side a little bit as we pray and consider. I'm not saying that we ignore or discount pain and hurt because sometimes that's there for our own self-protection, right? But those hurt feelings can sometimes lay a trap and we need to be careful of them. And I'll give you an example to show you what I mean by that. Because I think there was, there's probably been many times God has led me through some correction. In fact, there has been. But I do remember a time, <clears throat> it was probably about three, just over three years ago, and so I'd just been uh, the, the lead pastor here for a couple of years, and I remember one morning before one of our services here, actually, this has never happened to me before, someone was, was quite upset at me about something going on in their life, and, and I hadn't, hadn't done enough to care. And, um, and that upset me. Anyway, I um, apologised and moved on. And then another person did exactly the same thing. Now, this has never happened to me before and hasn't happened since. So two people on the same Sunday morning before the service, you know, you're preparing, you're praying, you've got a sermon to preach, were upset at me. And it upset me. Okay, so I apologised and moved on. And um, I remember going home and saying, Michelle, this is really getting to me. And you know how the, the pity party starts to form? Yeah. Oh, I've been working so hard. <laughs> you know, I didn't mean to uh, ignore these, these two people. And, and it kind of just builds up and builds up. And the little violins are out, you know. <laughs> and um, anyway, the next, the next day is Monday, which is often my day off. And so I thought, well, I need to go and bring this one to God so that he can tell them how wrong they were. <laughs> because, I, you know, it was exhausting and, and you know, it'd been, it was a really hard time in, in that period in my ministry. There's big decisions being made, lots of stuff going on. I'm not trying to excuse it. I'm just saying that was what was going on. Anyway, so I'm out at a place I like to go to to pray, and I was, I was really pouring out my heart to the Lord, and it was just kind of like the same thing I'd done with Shelley and God. This isn't fair. Why, why does this happen? Um, anyway, God, what, what do you think? And, and, I, and it was, you know, those distinct moments sometimes you just hear from God. And I felt like God said to me, those two people were right. Because you, you have a pastoral responsibility and you dropped the ball. And, you know, pastoral care is not necessarily one. I, I love doing it and, and 
It's not one of my real strengths. You know, there's some pastors, they're just on it. They're the best pastoral carers. You just know, right? I love doing, don't get me wrong, church, please hear me on this. I love doing pastoral care, and I do do it, but it's not my strength. I felt like God said, no, they have a good point, and you need to hear it. In fact, what I heard from God was, this will become a big problem for you. If you don't address it, and address it well, and now. And I heard it. I heard that message. So I went from thinking, woe is me, to uh, I've got to do some change in my life. This is the job God called me to, after all. You know, if he's trying to discipline me and direct me, wow, he must really like me. He must actually love me. He must actually, he's confirming, yes, I've called you to be a pastor. I think that you can do it really well, but you need to be hearing what I'm saying. In that moment, I just want you to know the feeling changed completely from self-pity to God loves me. And, and, and I just felt so overwhelmed with, with his love at that moment. And I... I came back and I shared some stuff with our staff back then. And since then, we've been doing pastoral care differently. Again, not, not perfectly. We still drop the ball sometimes. But I've got more people helping. We hold each other accountable. We check. And we, and we just do things differently. Because as we're a growing church, it, you know, it becomes different, doesn't it? But I just want you to hear that. This was just a two-day discipline, okay? This is, some of you are probably thinking, God's been trying to sort me out on something for two years. That's hard. But I just give that example to you to let you know if we can take that pain to God, he may just reveal something that's even better. (laughs) In fact, significantly better. Because God loves us. God loves us. What did verse 11 say again? Uh, There will be a peaceful harvest of right living. Isn't that good? A harvest kind of gives a a vision of lots of stuff coming in. You know, you've seen the combine harvesters? They're just harvesting, harvesting. Lots of good stuff coming into the tank behind them. God brings that blessing. Now, I'm not... The best pastor when it comes to these things, I enjoy doing it and I do do it. God, in fact, here's what I've learned about caring for people is that often, you know, I know there's times I've been to the hospital and I'm like, God, I don't know what to say. What am I going to do? I'll go into that room. That person often blesses me. It's amazing. Thank you, Jesus. I just give that example. The temptation was to be offended. The temptation was to flee from the pain and be self-righteous. I reckon there's times I've done that, by the way, in my life. The application for us today is to take these moments to God, discern them. Is there something in this difficulty that he wants to draw my attention to? And I'll also add, I'm really happy to sit with you if you're unsure as well. That's what the church does. Why don't we pray together? Lord, if we take your word at 
as face value when we do today. We have to thank you for the times you've brought correction into our lives. We have to thank you for it, God, because you've been, you've been making us more godly. You, you've been making us more holy. That's the better life to live. It's the more productive life. It's the more fruitful life. It's the one that honors you better. It's the one that reflects you better to the world. And God, so God, I pray that for us that uh, we wouldn't flee from the times you bring correction to us. But rather, Lord, we will know that you love us. Help us to see that, Lord. Help us to be uh, wise and mature as we go through these times in our life. We thank you for your word today. It's living and active. It's powerful and it changes us. And we receive it today. We receive it in faith and we commit to you in Jesus' name. Amen.